On today's episode of the Not Gonna Lie podcast presented by Student Union Sports, I'll be riding solo on this one. So no guest. Hopefully we'll get some guys here next week. But fortunately, uh, we've been hit with a couple of big time news stories over the past few days that we really need to unpack. So we'll get into the Jamal Adams trade, what it means for the Jets and the Seahawks, how much both sides got better, uh, and maybe who won and who lost the trade. Tom Thibodeau is the new coach of the Knicks. We go into that. Uh, does it make sense? What can he realistically do? And what should his expectations and the Knicks fans' expectations be for the upcoming season? And then after that, we get into part four or part three of the divisional power rankings. Uh, get into a division that we will find out here in the next little bit. But if you are enjoying these episodes so far, maybe want to get another guest on uh, that you think would be great, feel free to go to Apple Podcasts if you're listening uh, on that app. You can just go right in, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, tell us what we can do better. Uh, guys you want to hear, maybe some suggestions, or you can follow us on Instagram at Podcast or on Twitter at PodcastNGL. Okay, let's get into today's show. <laughs> What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and like I said, we've got a lot of information to cover. A lot of things have been happening in the past few days that have really rocked the sports world. Uh, we're getting back to playing games in uh, Orlando. They're playing a lot of basketball, some training camp, uh, and it's it'll be Thursday when the season or the, uh, the seeding games finally start, uh, which I am absolutely pumped for. I'm going to be locked in on Friday when the Celtics take on the Bucks, and I'll probably catch a little bit of the uh, those first two opening night games on Thursday. But where we're starting with this episode is not uh, in the NBA world, but the NFL world. So a couple days ago, it was announced that Jamal Adams uh, had finally reached an agreement. There was He was having issues with the front office with Joe Douglas uh, and Adam Gase, and basically was demanding a trade. Uh, and somehow, Joe Douglas went from having absolutely zero leverage. Everyone and their mother knew that Jamal Adams wanted to leave, uh, but he somehow still got two first-rounders and a third-rounder, as well as a supplemental piece in Bradley McDougal uh, for Jamal Adams in a fourth-round pick, which is absolutely incredible uh, when, you, when you think about it given the circumstances. Um, but there's a lot to unpack here with this deal, uh, and that's what we're going to do, get into it a little bit. First question that, that doesn't really make sense in my mind, uh, and I've been trying to, to figure this out as we go, but why two first-rounders? I mean, you look at the guys that have been um, traded for two first-round picks in the past. You're looking at Jalen Ramsey, Khalil Mack, obviously two big powerhouses, but they also play more of a premier position uh, than than safety. So, and I'm not saying this is a bad move. I, th I think we'll we'll get into this a little bit more. But Khalil Mack is an absolute game changer on that defensive line, and Jalen Ramsey is one of the best, if not the best, cornerback in all of all of the National Football League at this point, right? Jamal Adams is probably the best safety. He's for sure top three. But how often can safeties really make like be those game wreckers? Like. You put Jalen Ramsey on pretty much any wide receiver in the league, and he's going to shut him down. He's going to uh, lock him up and completely eliminate him. Uh, and Khalil Mack is getting in the backfield every time, wreaking havoc. Uh, but 
the the place where it gets interesting because safeties not aren't normally considered that kind of um, valuable piece. You know what they're able to do uh, is that they're playing a lot of coverage um, and they're kind of flying around the field. They're the heavy hitters. Um, but what makes Jamal Adams different is his ability to rush, and he's done so pretty regularly uh, with the Jets. And I assume Pete Carroll is going to keep that same idea. Um, and and I almost feel like he's going to play what Cam Chancellor was for the uh, for the Seahawks here in Seattle. But still, regardless, I mean, two first rounders, uh, you gave up a third rounder and uh, one of your starting safeties, which obviously you wouldn't need him because you have Jamal Adams in exchange for a fourth round pick uh, and and Jamal Adams. But ultimately, it's really going to come down to for the Jets what they can make those trade, what they can get out of those uh, picks. They're probably going to be in the twenties. You know, it's not going to be. A, they're not going to slip into the top five, um, because barring you know some injury to Russell Wilson. But um, they're going to be you know mid round, mid first rounders, mid to late, um, and then the third rounders. It's just going to be some really good capital. But one of the things that I found interesting is that you look at um, what the Seahawks did with Jadavian Clowney. They they were able to get rid of two of their supplemental defensive pieces. Um, send him over to Houston for Jadavion Clowney. And we're like, ah, they, they fleeced him. This is huge. Like, I can't believe they just let him walk like that. Uh, and then didn't make an effort, or it appears they still haven't made an effort to re-sign Jadavion Clowney to a contract. Um, now, we're saying this is a lot of capital that they're giving up. It becomes even more capital if they can't reach a contract extension and they're not willing to pay Jamal Adams. Uh, and then they're just, they found themselves in a similar situation, but with a whole lot more um, that they're that they're letting walk one of the best safeties in the entire league. Um, so I'm assuming based on the capital that they gave up, they're going to be willing to make to get that deal done. But you know, Jadavion Clowney's still unsigned. He may find his way back to the Seahawks, but who knows where where he's going to end up at this point? Uh, and that brings up another point: How much better does this defense get? Um, I think Jamal Adams is is you know kind of the the center fielder. Um, as far as um, when he's in coverage, and he's very solid, but he's also a really talented uh, blitzer, like I mentioned. Uh, and looking at the Seahawks, that's something that they really need. I don't think they had a guy over four sacks this past year. Uh, and we've talked about it before. Their defense is ranked tw- uh, mid-20s in basically every single meaningful category, even though they have some really good pieces in Shaquille Griffin, Bobby Wagner, uh, Quandre Diggs, and now Jamal Adams. But how can they put it together, right? Where's where's this defensive line going to come from? Because that's kind of their key their key missing piece. Because you can only play defense for so long. If you're not making the quarterback throw the ball, he can just sit in the pocket and wait. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see how much better the defense gets. Um, I think they'll they'll have more of a, a blitzing presence, but they also may give up bigger plays. You know, because you're sacrificing a guy in the secondary uh, to come up and and make something happen. But which he's done. Uh, but the the biggest question for for the Seahawks right now that they really have to answer is um, how how does this make them Super Bowl contenders right How does this get them into the Super Bowl uh, and and I don't think it does I genuinely don't believe and we talked about this a lot I do not think the Seahawks are as close to making it into the Super Bowl as people think I mean they were they were nine and two in um, games aside by one point or less. And two of those games were missed game-winning field goals um, from the opposing team. So they're, you know, it's something went wrong and they got that win. And they were 11-5 and only by only outscoring their opponents by seven points, which is nuts, absolutely crazy. 
Um, and and I don't I don't think that that they're going to be on that same path. You know, they may win 10, 10, 11 games again, but to put them at the cream of the crop in the NFC, I mean, I'd need to see a lot more. The offensive line is still horrendous. Um, they've got a lot of running back injuries. The wide receiver core is solid, um, and they, they've got better options now with um, with Greg Olson at tight end. But defensively, the pass rush is lacking. Are they going to be able to get Jadavion Clowney back? Um, and how are they going to hold up? They they remained pretty healthy for the most part of, of last year, and I, I'll i be interested to see what they can really make out of this sort of situation because um, it's a big move, but you know, if it doesn't translate to wins and they can't get a deal done, then it really becomes a massive waste. Um, but now looking at it from the Jets' point of view, um, will Bradley McDougal start? I mean, that's 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 an underrated piece of this deal, giving them a guy to replace uh, Jamal Adams. They do have Ashton Davis, their third-round pick out of Cal, who's kind of waiting in the wings, ready to go if necessary. But McDougal gives them some more um, some more breathing room allows Ashton Davis to, to grow a little more, get a little bit better, uh, and then and then move things from there. But McDougal last year ranked 60th per pro football focus out of all 80, 85 eligible safeties this past year. Um, not incredible, but uh, not, not that great either. And then finally, one last piece uh, of this Jets deal that makes it all the more intriguing you look at uh, Adam Gase is out the door. I mean, this is going to be his last season, barring some miraculous issue, uh, like that they overcome and finally start winning games. But with this draft capital, coaching the New York Jets becomes all the more enticing. Not only because they have some flexibility there, but if Sam Darnold doesn't take a step and prove that he is worthwhile, um, a new coach could come in and say, "Look, we've got the capital." Uh, and they may even just land there. But we have the capital to trade up in the draft and get one of those three guys because we've talked about them before. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance are the three names to watch for um, this season. And I think they are, they're going top 10 at least, if not higher, barring something that, that happens. But that, that Jets head coaching job, they're going to get a lot of interested offers. I mean, Joe Douglas is notorious, notorious for being a good evaluator of talent both in the front office and on the field. So you're going to be inheriting a team that is a little rough around the edges, but they have the capital to, to make something happen. And if these rookies can produce too, they're going to be really uh, sitting in a good place. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into Tom Thibodeau as the new coach of the New York Knicks. I have to admit, I was a little bit surprised to hear about the Knicks announcement of the new coach, Tom Thibodeau. Uh, as a part of the team. I mean, nothing against the guy. I think he's carved out a very successful coaching career for himself, but some stuff just really doesn't add up in terms of how he coaches and what the Knicks are hoping for. Um, I mean, you look at what he was able to do in Chicago where he really uh, had his his rise to fame, um, took Jimmy Butler from a 30 30 overall pick to an all-star, Derek Rose, an MVP, and the uh, he took the Bulls to the cusp of the NBA Finals multiple times, going up against one of the best teams of the decade uh, in the in the uh, Miami Heat. But then he went to the Timberwolves. There was a lot of hype around there. I mean, they had Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Zach Levine, Chris Dunn. Didn't really do too much with it. Let traded away Dunn and Levine to the Bulls. They had one really successful year uh, when they brought Jeff Teague on. 
and and now it's just kind of falling apart. Um, he's a primarily defensive coach, but especially with the Timberwolves, they were lacking uh, in that defensive category. Um, they, he had a strong group with the Bulls, but ultimately you look at what where he's most successful, and it's a team that, that has a lot of success, a team that has a really strong starting five. He's very consistently pushing his guys, his starting five, to their limits uh, and playing them 40-plus minutes a game pretty regularly. Um, and that doesn't always come across the best, but it especially doesn't come across the best when you when you look at the team that they've got. I mean, it's R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson uh, are solid pieces, and then Frank Nielakina, Kevin Knox are doing all right. They they'll they'll be you know probably right off the bench in in most other teams, but they're starting for for the Knicks, and those guys really aren't capable of going for it. I mean, they've got the energy for it, but. Uh, you look at it, and it, it's just it doesn't make sense from a from a team standpoint. Um, I would have, I don't know if I dislike it for the Knicks per se, uh, but I'm not the biggest fan for Tom Thibodeau. And I get it, maybe there wasn't a ton of interest there, but I feel like you really have to be selective. I mean, uh, especially you're talking about teams that go from col- uh, coaches that go from college to the pros. Um, you know, you've got your one shot to really make an impact. And you can't just jump at the first opportunity. I mean, you've got to be ready to wait, get the feelers out a little bit, and then kind of test the market before you go. But And it feels similar to a coach that has gotten fired. I mean, sure, not everybody's going to be interested in you, which makes sense. But you want to make sure that that situation that you had was a fluke and it's not doesn't reflect who you are as a coach. Because right now, the idea that we've gotten of, or the idea that we're starting to get of Tom Thibodeau is that if it wasn't for Derrick Rose as an MVP and Jimmy Butler and Joakim Noah, Carlos Boozer, uh, then he didn't really do much. He just worked them hard and they they produced in games, but there wasn't correlation between uh, what he was doing and how well the team was doing. So I don't hate the deal uh, for for the Knicks, but Tom Thibodeau would have liked. I mean, this is this is a dif- dysfunctional franchise. Haven't won a playoff series or have won one playoff series in 20 years. Um, and play in one of the biggest markets, are one of the most well-known teams in the league, but the success uh, that they should be having or the success that they are hyped up to have isn't reflecting um, on on the court, right? And so part of Tom Thibodeau's role as a coach is he's going to have a, a heavy uh, say in who they draft, you know, and they've got a lot of directions they could go, but more so than that in developing a lot of young talent. Uh, which is something he struggled to do before. Not saying it's impossible, but it does feel a little bit iffy uh, understanding that the Timberwolves were one of the most exciting teams when you look at their their combination of talent uh, and all those guys, and he was unable to to make anything happen there. So what's to say that this is this time's going to go different? I mean, the Carl Anthony Towns is one of the best centers in the league. Zach Levine is obviously a high flyer capable of scoring 20 points regularly. Um, but, you know, you've got R.J. Barrett, who's still unproven. He's shown a lot, but he needs to make some more steps. And then uh, you look you look at, at Mitchell Robinson, who is transitioning out of the traditional, or he is an old-school big man in a new-school league, um, which I'm sure Tom Thibodeau absolutely loves, but it's probably going to cause some issues. I think there's going to be times where uh, we're – it's not going to go smoothly, and I wouldn't be surprised if Thibodeau is fired within the next two years. That's kind of how it looks. Um, you know, barring a great draft, maybe it's taking a guy who can really put the team 
take the team to the next level. But that's really, it, it makes the most sense, um, unfortunately, because it's, you got to go in a new direction, right? Like when, with your, when you're the Knicks, uh, you, you took the guy from CAA, Leon Rose, as your president. Now you got to go somewhere else for a coach. You got to think outside the box, not a guy who has had success before and has been struggling as of late. Uh, but that's the cards they were dealt. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens here in the next few years for the Knicks. But I am not overly optimistic. Switching gears here just a little bit, we are going into part four of the divisional power ranking. And so the team with, I guess that's a little tricky the way we do it, but the fifth best division in football uh, based on how I've got them projected is the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm going to be basing these conversations a little bit based off of um, an article ESPN recently released. They basically ranked every team's outlook over the next um, few years. And then I'm going to end kind of the show talking about the top five, bottom five, and maybe some surprises in between. Um, but I've got the Jags going 5-11, and 11, which I think is very generous. Um, I think Gardner Minshew is going to win them some games, and there are just going to be situations that he either plays poorly or they simply can't overcome because they've lost a lot of guys. Nick Foles is gone, Clay is Campbell, A.J. Bouye, not to mention the trade uh, that sent Jalen Ramsey to the Rams, um, and Unique Ngakwe wants out. Uh, and then that's I mean, there, there's potential. Um, that, that not everybody stays. And so Leonard Fournette may be on his way out too. It's, it's a tough situation to be, to be in um, as a Jacksonville Jaguars fan and a group here. But looking at their rankings, so they ranked them in five different categories, overall roster minus quarterback, quarterback, coaching, draft, and front office. Uh, and they were 29th or worse in everything. 31st in overall roster, 32nd in quarterback, 31st in coaching, 29th in the draft, and then 31st in the front office. Um, I think worst case scenario, Gardner Minshew really hits another corner. Um, D.D. Westbrook is very solid. Um, and D.J. Chark has really come into his own. Uh, and that offense could just go for an explosion. Leonard Fournette could take off. Um, and they win maybe, you know, seven games. But maybe, uh, and, and this is worst case scenario, and it seems a lot more likely the, the wheels fall off. Gardner Minshew's year was a fluke. Um, which I don't believe it is, um, and then they win, you know, something two or three games. But they've lost a really a, a lot of key pieces. But more importantly, the culture. I mean, this is a place where people are hesitant to go play, which is bad. You know, like if that the, the number one goal of any team is to build a solid culture uh, and a place where people want to be, because that's starting from the ground up. That is the number one place. The number one idea when building a team is how can we make it somewhere where people want to play. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, switching sports here, look at what the, the Nets did while they traded away um, three really good picks that turned into be some solid pieces. They spent a lot of time in their, their training program, getting smarter there, making more sense uh, for the players to keep them safer, to keep them refreshed and refueling. And they were able to build slowly through that um, because they had a culture where people wanted to come play. Um, and so that's really right now, you know, a, a swimming pool in the stadium is not going to cut it for the Jaguars and, and a, a place where people want to come play. Uh, so it's it's unfortunate, but it really looks like the Jaguars are going to be one of the worst teams in the league here um, for the next few years. Uh, and, it, and it's all really because of, of what, um, you know, Tom Coughlin has struggled. It's, this is not the way he wanted his career to end, but there's going to be uh, a dark cloud hanging over his head because of it. Uh, and then 
third best team in the league or in the in the division I've gotten the AFC South is actually the Houston Texans. I've got them going seven and nine this year. I think Deshaun Watson is a fantastic player, um, but I think they have a ton of holes in that group. Um, you look at uh, the rest of the offensive line outside of Laramie Tunzel, even though he led the league in penalties this past year, uh, and they rewarded him with a insane extension of $22 million a year, which is $4 more million more uh, on average than the next highest player uh, at left tackle, which absolutely just blew him out of the water. Um, and the rankings really do reflect that of, of what they're doing. Bill O'Brien is the coach slash GM and has made a lot of terrible moves. DeAndre Hopkins is gone. They have De- uh, David Johnson and his massive contract, which just doesn't make any sense to me. But overall roster minus the quarterback, they've got 23rd. Uh, quarterback is fourth, which I definitely agree with, especially building for the future. He's Deshaun Watson is one of the best guys that you could ever hope for. Um, coaching, they have 20th. Drafting 31st, and the front office is 32nd. Um, I've said it before, Bill O'Brien, the GM, needs to fire himself and keep Bill O'Brien, the coach, uh, in place because he's he's a good coach. He's a great motivator. He gets guys going. Um, and they've made the playoffs a couple, these past couple of years, but his decision-making in the front office is ultimately what's going to screw them here in the next few years. And this may not be a place that Deshaun Watson wants to play. We're getting to a point where... You know, their contract extensions are talking and, and they're going to have to pay him a lot of money and convince him that, hey, look, we can win here and we can give you pieces to win uh, if there's any chance of him staying. Um, but it's tough. I mean, it's it's difficult because, um, you know, you, you can't undo these decisions, much less, you know, does he even realize that they're mistakes? I mean, that second round pick that they got for David Johnson, they turned around and, and signed Brandon Cooks. So you would think for the money that they spent um, just to get uh, DeAndre Hopkins out of Houston, they could have used towards a new contract, which is what you, what he wanted in the first place. Uh, but I think best case scenario, they, they go on a tear, things just click, uh, and they're, they're somewhere around 11 and five, but really worst case scenario, you know, and I don't want to wish for this, but you know, a tech, uh, Deshaun Watson injury and all of a sudden they're like three and 13, four and 12. He really is the glue that, that holds them together. And they can't just bank on him being healthy as a way to, um, to lead their team to some success. Uh, but next up, we've got the Titans, got them going nine and seven, and I have them making the playoffs. Um, as far as their their rankings here over the next three years, they've gotten 11, they're 11th in overall roster minus quarterback, 14th in quarterback, 12th in coaching, 13th in the draft, and 9th in the front office. Uh, I think they've done a really good job um, over these over this past year, really turning around the franchise, getting Ryan Tannehill, signing Derrick Henry to a very team-friendly contract, um, and building that defense really, really well. Um, they were they were close. They were you know a, a half a football away from playing in the Super Bowl this past year. And while I think they may have overachieved a little bit, the pieces are there, and that's why I've got them going to the playoffs again. Um, I think Derrick Henry's going to hit a wall, and we're going to have we're going to wonder what Ryan Tannehill can do. And we're going to have to figure it out uh, when there's not as solid of a running game in those first few weeks uh, and maybe even the whole season. Because I think there's a lot of tread on those tires. He's a big guy and he is one of the best running backs in football, but the running back position simply isn't sustainable. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. Um, But I I really like what the team that they've built, the culture, um, and it's it's difficult because I'd probably really like watching them play if they weren't in the same division as the Colts. Um, so I, I, I have to dislike them just a little bit, but moving on. So as you can probably guess, um, the number one team here, 
that I've got in the division is the Colts. I've got them going 10 and 6, and I've got them winning the AFC South. Um, they are also 10th in the um, rankings over the next three years. They've got them 10th in the overall roster, minus quarterback, 26th in quarterback, 11th in coaching, second in drafting, and third in front office. And I mean, that's simply put, like Chris Ballard is one of the smartest guys uh, in the National Football League. He's turned just a couple of picks into playmakers on every side of the ball. Um, and and I'm extremely lucky to root for a, a franchise that drafts so well and finds all these hidden gems of talent. Um, Philip Rivers is going to be the biggest question mark on the team, no doubt about it. What are we going to get from him uh, is going to translate to what we get from the Colts team as a whole. Um, I think I think best case scenario, the Colts are 12 and four. Philip Rivers turns back the clock, has a Pro Bowl year. Um, and Michael Pittman really steps into his own. T.Y. Hilton stays healthy, and Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack just run over everybody uh, in in that when they're behind their great offensive line, and they are one of the best teams in football. But worst case scenario, Philip Rivers struggles again. Maybe we have to cycle through quarterbacks. Maybe Brissett plays a bit. Jacob Eason plays a bit, um, and then it's six and nine, seven and six and ten, seven and nine, um, which would be incredibly unfortunate. But hopefully. Um, that won't happen, but it's that is the biggest. Like I think they have the biggest boomer bust potential. Um, I think the team around the quarterback is built extremely well. The running game, offensive line, defense—they have a lot of good pieces. Just added to Force Buckner, but it's really going to come down to what Philip Rivers can do. Uh, and if we see good Philip Rivers, we're going to see really good Indianapolis Colts. Uh, but that's that's going to do it here for the uh, AFC South divisional power rankings and then I want to get into this um this conversation a little bit so it, it were three guys here Jeremy Fowler Lewis Riddick oh Seth Walder and Field Yates four guys um went through and ranked um those five categories I talked about and then ranked the teams from those categories um so number one I don't think this should be a huge surprise um you can make the case for another team but number one is the Baltimore Ravens they ranked top five in every single meaningful category third in overall roster minus quarterback, third in quarterback, fifth in coaching, third in draft, and first in front office. Um, I think ultimately, you know, if, if Lamar Jackson can stay at the cream of the crop and one of the best quarterbacks, the Ravens are going to be really good because, I mean, the defense is fantastic, but that offense really focuses around what he's able to do, not only in the running game, but in the passing game. So if you eliminate one of those options, it's it's going to be a tough road, uh, and then it's going to trickle into the defense too. But I think it makes sense, and the, their ability to draft is absolutely insane. The value that they get um, and, the, and the pieces that they've been able to put together uh, is fantastic, and I think I think it makes a lot of sense to have them number one. Um, number two, a team that you could make the argument that, that should be number one, but we'll have to see, is, is the Kansas City Chiefs. So overall roster minus quarterback, they've got them fourth. Quarterback, obviously, have them first. Coaching is second. Drafting, tenth. And then the front office is fourth. Um, I was interested... I think Patrick Mahomes elevates the level of play for a lot of these guys. I don't know if I would really put them at fourth best roster in the National Football League. Um, they're definitely top 10, but it, it, it feels like a little much. I mean, they do have some some stars, Tyron Matthew, Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, but there are still a couple holes there. Defensively, they're not as solid as they could be, and the wide receiver group benefits greatly from what Patrick Mahomes is able to do. Um, and their biggest issue in the future is going to be, okay, how can we pay these guys and can we continually draft well and replace? Um, number three, one of the most versatile teams in football uh, is the San Francisco 49ers. They have, I mean, it's they, they've got them ranked as the best overall roster minus quarterback, which 
arguable. I would probably put the Saints there as far as the, just the 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 guys that they've really put together. But I mean, it makes sense. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too much into it. But quarterback, they have twelfth. Coaching is fourth. Draft is fourth, and front office is seventh. I mean, this is a very well run organization from top to bottom. And if they had, I mean, if they had an above average quarterback, which Jimmy Garoppolo has his moments, but he's he's very much average. I think um, they are they're gonna take they would take it to the next level. Like as in, it, it's scary to think about it because they are uh, Jimmy Garoppolo to Emmanuel Sanders pass away from being Super Bowl champions. But I really think they could be so much better. Um, and it, it's it's matching that because they've lost a couple of running backs here, um, or well they've lost Matt Breida and and um, Raheem Mostert may be out the door, um, but that defensive line is so good and they're so young and they've they've replaced pieces all over the field and um, they're one of the more exciting teams to watch. I think um, they're trending in the right direction as opposed to you know kind of being close to suffocated by the cap. They've got a lot of young stars and a lot of a lot of nowhere to go but up. Um, and then fourth. Team I mentioned is the New Orleans Saints. Um, oh, it looks like they have them tied. Okay, so they're tied for first. Um, the Saints and the 49ers with the the best roster in football, which makes sense. I like that. Uh, quarterback, they have ninth. Coaching is third. Draft, 23rd. And front office, 11th. Um, I mean, I, I was a little surprised that they've got um, them 23rd in the draft. I think they found some good pieces. But yeah, you can't overstate what Sean Payton's done for that organization and and they've built through the draft as well as free agency but they really have compiled one of the best teams uh in the national football league and they have so much depth at quarterback too now they've got Taysom hill who some people believe can turn into a real starting quarterback jury's out on that one but uh in case they want to go the more traditional route they've got a guy like Jameis winston which is absolutely fantastic and then fifth this one makes a lot of sense i think there are there are a couple pieces away that they're missing but um, it's the Dallas Cowboys. So the Cowboys overall roster is seventh quarterback is fifth coaching 15th draft first. And then front office is 13th. I think, yeah, the, the reason why they're here is because they draft so well and they're able to really put some guys together, um, and, and be a good football team on paper. But that coaching at 15th is, I mean, maybe jumping the gun a little bit. We don't know how Mike McCarthy is going to work, but um, if they had a, a, a solid group of guys, I mean, with, with, a, with a good coach that knows how to work them, it's a dangerous crew. Like, I think they are really good, and, and um, if they can put it all together, I mean, you, you got to watch out for them. They're, they're always uh, in that Super Bowl conversation, no matter who's talking. And let's go to bottom five. We'll just whip through them here. The Jets are in 28th. Um, they, they drafted well. Like I said, I talked about them a lot already with Jamal Adams and that that deal and what Joe Douglas will be able to do with it. Uh, I'm excited. 29th is the New York Giants. Um, they've got some good pieces. Daniel Jones is is working his way into the hearts of many New York Giant football fans, um, but they still have a long way to go as far as building out the rest of the team. 30th, got the Carolina Panthers, which makes sense. Matt Rule's got his work cut out for him. They've got Christian McCaffrey. They need, uh, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is the answer. They really need to figure something out else out there. Uh, and it's a, it's going to be a full rebuild, so we'll see how quickly they can get the team back into into contention. Thirty first, a little bit of a surprise, but Chicago Bears. Uh, the defense is great. The offense, we we just don't know. They're one of the biggest question marks in the entire National Football League. Um, and and if the offense gets going, they could they could slide into the playoffs. I I mentioned them last week. I got them going six and ten. Um, but if the offense figures it out, if they can turn a corner with Nick Foles. 
they're easily a 10 and 6 team and are pushing for that NFC North division. Uh, and then finally, the team I already mentioned was the Jacksonville Jaguars at 32nd. I uh, talked about them a little bit, but I was just going to go through and see, talk about a couple of teams that maybe surprised me a little bit. Um, I was surprised the Colts were so high at 10th. I thought that was interesting. Um, but the one that really gets me is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at nine um, and and why they have them ranked where they do. So they've got them ranked fifth uh, as far as drafting goes and then fifth overall roster minus quarterback, which took me for a little bit of a surprise. Um, I think they've got some good pieces, but that defense is very much average. Um, they've got some, they've got two, they have the best wide receiver duo in the league, in my opinion, and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and then added Rob Gronkowski at tight end. But outside of that, uh, in Shaq Barrett, outside of those four guys, I mean, it's very, it's a very average crew. So it'll be interesting to see, but that one, that one was definitely a surprise just because I wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't really expecting them to be be in that conversation um, of top ten over the next three years. Because once Tom Brady goes, I feel like it's it's just going to fall apart. It's a it's a ticking time bomb. Um, and then another one that surprised me was the New England Patriots. Uh, they they were ranked thirtieth because of quarterback. And there's a note here that says the polling took place prior to the Cam Newton signing, so that obviously may change some things there. They're twenty first in overall roster minus quarterback, which. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. I think these guys, you look at what the defense did. We're talking best defense of all time last year. So what changed? I mean, yes, they have they struggle with receivers. They've got a decent offensive line. They've got a, a solid run game. But they're not 21st in the NFL. I mean, they're, you know, we're talking 12 to 15 outside of quarterback. When you bring quarterback in, it gets a little muddier. But they obviously were number one in coaching and number one in front office. But a surprising 20th in drafting. Um, I, I don't know what more they need to do uh, as far as to, to bump themselves up a little bit more, but some of those some of those picks that they put together, you know, made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, hopefully in these next few weeks, we'll get some guests to help preview the NFL season. And then NBA is coming back. So this time next week, we're going to be having NBA basketball, which is very exciting. It's going to matter. It's going to feel real. Um, and I am so pumped. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.